All right. Well, hey, good morning, Overlake. It is good to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And that is the series we're launching. It's called The Generosity Ladder. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. I really encourage you to follow along today. Take notes. Um, the, the subtitle for that, The Generosity Ladder, it is a different kind of upward mobility. Okay? That's what we want to go after. We know that in our culture, in our world, there are all kinds of ladders, all kinds of pressures to climb these different ladders. And so what we want to talk about is a different kind of upward mobility. I, I don't know if you're familiar even with that phrase. It, it became kind of very popular in the cultural uh, sort of vernacular in the 80s, right? Where we talked about how there were all of these folks who were young and upwardly mobile folks, and we coined a phrase for them. Uh, they, they were called yuppies. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase yuppies, right? Okay, yeah, exactly. So we know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. In fact, just last week, Time Magazine came out with an, an issue. It was on the cover of their magazine. It said, can people still move up in America? And it had a picture of a ladder, somebody trying to climb, but all these rungs that were broken. And uh, you read the article, you find out that upward mobility is still possible, but you've got to move to Denmark to take advantage of it. And then when you get to the top of that ladder, everything looks like Ikea. So it's really not that positive. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, there's this idea of, of climbing ladders. Well, we want to talk about what climbing a different kind of ladder looks like. Generosity, having nothing to do with Bruce Jenner, actually. Um, but this idea of generosity. And so in this series, we're going to take a look for three weeks at what kind of a ladder is it that we can climb. What, where is it that God can take us if we choose to climb this often forgotten about ladder? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that you don't struggle to make ends meet each month. Imagine that you are completely out of debt, that you're not bound by ties of materialism, that your needs are consistently met, that you have the desire and the ability to help people in need that you have the resources to give to causes much bigger than your own concerns. Imagine that you live a life full of generosity, joy, and peace. Friends, this is what I want you to imagine, and I want to encourage you to journey with us over these next three weeks, because there really is something that God can stir. In fact, we're marrying it with this resource. It's called Igniting a Life of Generosity by Chris McDaniel. These are available after the service as well. And if you pick this up, you'll notice that this is a 21-day uh, curriculum. It's a, it's a workbook that you work through. Now, I, I'm not really good with the math, but 21 days and three weeks of a series, they go together at least somewhat. And so I would encourage you to journey with us on this. What you'll find, and this, this is the guarantee, it's not that all of those things will become reality over the next three weeks, but, but by you walking this road, God will be putting you on the trajectory to where you will have his perspective over your financial life. That this is the road that we can walk to financial peace. Now, that's why we've got this ladder sort of represented. It represents something. Climbing the top means something to each of us. So we start at the bottom. The bottom is financial stress. 
right? We just recognize that that's where so many of us are. We're ankle deep in debt. We, we have stress. We have pressure. We just constantly feel bound by our finances. We're going to talk about some of the rungs that we can climb. And then at the very top is financial peace, okay? This is God's perspective on our life, God's perspective on our finances. And that's what climbing the generosity ladder is going to look like. But friends, it begins with us recognizing that what we've thought about and the way that we've behaved regarding our finances, it hasn't brought us the peace that we're looking for. In fact, I want you to know that so many of us, and, and sometimes myself included, we, we just we sort of ignore finances. Maybe we don't like math. In fact, I found this article this week. Some of you have seen this. Uh, it's, it's a recent article. It says, we hate math. Say four in 10, a majority of Americans. <laughs> All right. We hate it, right? And we push it off, we ignore it, and then, you know, we come up looking stupid. And, and that's the reality that so many of us face in terms of our finances. I found this quote from Nelson Searcy this week. He said, doing more of what you've always done will get you more of what you've always gotten. So if you're in financial stress right now, if you feel like you've been in that place and, and you are knee deep in debt and stress and you're constantly feeling pinched and bound, then understand it's not just more the same. That you need to come at it with a whole new paradigm shift. That we need to take a look. What does it look like for us to climb the rungs of the generosity ladder? And so I wanted to find the rung number one. We call rung number one basic level giving. And what basic level giving is, it's, it's returning an initial gift to God in a way that's identifiable and accountable. So we want to return an initial gift to God in a way that's identifiable and accountable. Now immediately some of you are saying, well Mike, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to return to God a gift that is identifiable, that it's accountable? Here's why. If you're filling in the blanks, because God owns it all. That's the first truth. It's the biggest truth we've got to grapple with. We've got to wrestle this one to the ground. God owns it all. It's all his. God's made it all. God owns it all. It's all his. And if we get that, because it's so important for us to realize it's not our money. And it's not our time. It's not our talent. It's, it's all God's. Right? Look what the scripture says in Colossians 1.16. All things were created through him and what? and for him. Through him and for him, they're all his. He made it all, he made you all, and everything is made for him and for his purposes. The next scripture here, 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul's writing, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay, let's pause on that verse for just a moment. Uh, first off, it says, talking to those who are rich. Now, most of us think he's talking to somebody else, right? Oh, we're not rich. That's somebody else. I, I, I was hearing about sort of a global perspective. And, and just out of a sort of, um, you know, kind of a, a curiosity, we'll do a little poll here to see if we're like the rich that are being addressed here. Raise your hand if you have in your closet right now more than two pairs of shoes. Raise your hand if you have more than two. 
Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. Um, raise your hand if you slept in a bed last night. Raise your hand if you slept in a bed. Okay, a couple of homeless guys in the back, but I'm assuming you're just lazy right now. Uh, you can raise your hand. So here's the deal. Um, raise your hand if you have an ashtray in your car or a little change uh, holder on your dresser, someplace in your home where you've got some money, it, it, just coins or something. Raise your hand if you've got an ashtray or a coin jar like that. Okay, now raise your hand if you can tell me exactly how much money is in that ashtray or coin jar. Anybody? How about this? Raise your hand if you've got a gift card somewhere to some place with money on it. Raise your hand. If, okay. Raise your hand if you've ever lost a gift card that you've received. Anybody ever lose a gift? Yeah. So the reason why we're all rich is because we got money laying around. We don't even know how much it is. We've got a surplus in our closet. We've got a surplus in our pantry. We've got gift cards that we've had and lost without using because we've got so much money, it's hard for us to keep track of it all. Now, we don't feel rich, right? And the reason we don't feel rich is because we're constantly comparing ourselves to people who have more than we do. Right? That's the biggest trick that the enemy of God has pulled over your eyes and my eyes. We constantly compare ourselves to the people who have more than we do, and we don't take a look at the billions who we have more than. Now, take a look at that passage one more time. It says, as for the rich in this present age, okay, that's us, we're not to be proud, we're not to be haughty, we're not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. They are uncertain. Our economy's proving that. But to put our hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything, circle those last two words, to enjoy. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's a good dad. He's a good God. He gives us all sorts of good stuff in our lives, provision, blessing, right, for our enjoyment. I'll tell you a story. Uh, many years ago, um, you know, my, my kids, by the way, my daughter's 11. I've got a nine-year-old. I've got a six-year-old. Um, so that's where they are right now. When my daughter, my 11-year-old, was just a toddler, I remember this so vividly that, that uh, I would take my kids through the drive-thru, right, a fast food drive-thru, and, and I would do that whenever my wife would be out, she'd be busy, she'd have an engagement, and she'd say, Michael, you're in charge of dinner tonight. i go, oh, I know how to cook dinner, and I'd take them to the drive-thru. And so we go through the drive-thru, and I knew what my daughter's favorite food was. Her favorite food was French fries. And because I'm a good dad and because I'm really careful about nutrition in our home, I would get her the fries and just, you know, that would be it. So uh, we go through the drive-thru, I order the fries, and I'd grab them from the, the person at the counter, and I would hand them back to my daughter. And in that process, the fries would be so hot and they'd be fresh, you know, from the fat fryer, and, and I'd, I'd pull them right by my nose, and they'd smell good, and I'd get a little salt on my fingers, and it would taste good, and, and so after giving the fries to my daughter, often I would turn to her, and I'd say, hey, honey, can daddy have a, a french fryer? And she would say, and this happened more than once, she would say, that's not a good idea. And, and, and so then, oh, honey, just let me have a fry or two. You know, you got the whole thing. Let me have a fry. That's, that's not a good idea. 
And, and so I would be forced then to begin to argue with her and I would begin to give her a bigger perspective like, Alex, you need to understand that as your dad, I, I worked for the money to purchase those fries for you. So, so you need to understand that in some sense, I made those fries happen in your life. Like they, I created them in this moment, you know, and, and, and you need to understand as well that I created you, right? Like you would not be here if it wasn't for my involvement in this thing. And so you, your very life is dependent upon me. And then finally, Alex, please understand, I have provided for you every day of your life. Like you have never known a need in your toddler existence. I have been so lavish as a father for you. Now give me a stinking fry. Right? And in and, and her response, that's not a good idea. Well, some of us have that same perspective to God. And some of us withhold from God. God's the one who's told us, hey, I want you to participate in giving. Why? Because I made you. And because I made everything. And because I give to you so lavishly. Provision poured out over your life, blessing poured out over your life, not to mention grace and forgiveness and salvation. So yeah, God says, I give you everything. My posture of love is to give to you. And we give in response to his love and his gift over us. That's the challenge. That's why we want to take a step up from the ground. We want to climb to rung number one, this basic level giving, okay? And then we read this, this idea from Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, okay? Understand this. We're going to give an account over how we have stewarded our resources, we're going to give an account as to how we have been generous back to God out of all of the bounty that he's provided for us. We're going to give an account of that. The scripture actually talks about this again and again and again. You know, sometimes churches, we're real shy about talking about money. I've actually been guilty of this. I, not talking about money, not talking about good stewardship of our finances. Here's the deal. There are over 2,300 verses in the Bible about how we are to steward our resources and give back to God. 2,300. I remember talking to a guy. He said, Pastor Mike, don't talk about money. Just teach me the Bible. Why well, can't, those, those things are not mutually exclusive. I can't do the one and not the other. The Bible is filled with this challenge, with this command that we're to give back to God because he owns it all, right? The next fill-in, we step up to rung number one, basic level giving, because we're accountable for how we steward our finances, because we will give an account for how we've made choices in terms of our generosity. Now, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is clear. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. What he's talking about in terms of our giving is we're not to show off in our giving. We're not to brag about how much we give. The idea of giving, we don't give to God so that we can get our name on a plaque on the wall kind of a thing. He, he's saying, no, no, don't, don't be haughty in terms of your giving. But Jesus also shows us that we're going to be accountable for what we give. 
right? You probably know the story about Jesus and the disciples as they sit there at the temple treasury and they watch people bringing their gifts. And Jesus with his disciples, they have a discussion, who's giving the most, right? That's accountability before Jesus. Jesus sees what we give. Uh, You might also understand that in the first century, when the church just began, that the believers, they came to the disciples and they laid their gifts at the disciples' feet. Aren't you glad we don't do that today like that? I mean, talk about awkward, right? You come, here, Pastor Mike is my check. You know, like, that'd be weird, right? So we don't do it that way, but we understand that accountability is a part of this picture, And so when it says basic level giving is to give in a way that's identifiable, that's accountable, you just need to understand, it means giving with your name associated with it. You give online, or you write a check to give, or you give over your phone, or however it is that you choose to give, but your name is associated with that, right? And that is so you can be held accountable, so that you can receive, you know, kind of a quarterly giving summary of, oh, oh, I'm giving where I want to give. I'm prioritizing God and my finances the way I want to prioritize him, okay? So we give in a way that we're accountable. We give because God owns it all. Now, this is step number one. And the challenge is that you would step through. If you have not been giving to God, if you've not prioritized generosity into your financial life, that you would take a step. And I don't know what it's holding you back. Maybe it's a step of fear. Maybe it's a step of anxiety. Maybe it's just a step of knowledge. You've not understood that this is God's perspective when it comes to finance. But I want to encourage you to step through whatever it is that's the barrier and step up to rung number one. I was reading this week a story. It's a colleague of mine named Darren from Willow Creek. And he was telling me of when he was just starting out in life, he, he had his first job, his first full-time job, very, very modest salary that he was commanding, but there was one perk, and the perk was that he got a company car. So he thought to himself, well, I'll sell my car that I own, I'll have a little extra cash, put it on the market, he couldn't sell it for weeks and weeks. Finally, he began to pray about it. He said, God, would you please help me sell my car? And instantly he felt this thought kind of come into his mind, what are you going to do with the money if I sell your car? And so he thought, well, I'm going to spend it on myself and figured that with God, that maybe wasn't a great answer. And so he began to think, well, what could I do with the money? And God brought to mind a a co-worker's family to Darren. And this co-worker was a bit of an elderly gentleman and he was... Uh, you know, making, again, a very modest salary, and there were some health concerns in his family's life, and, and finances were really excruciatingly tight in this co-worker's life. And so since Darren thought this, he thought maybe God was putting him on his heart, so he made a deal with God. God, if you sell my car, I'll give the money from that sale to this co-worker. Well, not surprisingly, friends, the car sold within a week of Darren making that commitment to God. And Darren, by the way, was instantly tempted to back out of his deal with God, right? Do we not know this? Have we made bargains with God? Have we been tempted to back out of those bargains? We have. And so we talked last week about you make your vow to the Lord, you follow through with that vow. Darren said, God, I'm going to follow through because I want to be that kind of person. So he went to the bank, he cashed that check, put it in an envelope. He remembers driving to that coworker's house. It was after nightfall. He parked several houses away. He walked uh, uh, along the block. He came to the mailbox. He put the envelope in, shut the mailbox, and then he went back to his car. 
He said his heart was pounding. He didn't, he didn't know why. He just felt like God was totally in that moment. And, and so there was a gladness about it. There was an excitement about it. But it still didn't prepare him for what would happen the next day when he went to work. And he got to work, and there was a large crowd around his coworker's desk. And his coworker was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and telling everyone in the office the story of how God had provided a miracle in his life. He said, Darren, come over here. Look what God has provided. It's a miracle. And Darren never said a word. Darren never told him that he was the the giver of that gift. Instead, Darren agreed that it was a miracle. And he thanked God that he was invited into that miracle. See, friends, this is the next reason why we give. This is the next reason why we step up to rung number one. We step up to rung number one because it feels incredible to give. It feels good. God knows that there is a blessing to us as we seek to bless others with generosity. And the scripture is very clear in Proverbs eleven twenty five. It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And we have an invitation, it's a standing invitation that we get to be in on the miracles of God. And it feels incredible. Now, Paul gives us a lot more encouragement and instruction on how to go after giving. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse one and two. It says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I've told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. So if you take a look at that passage, giving is to be proportional to income, right? You set aside the giving in proportion or in relation to the amount of money that God is giving you in your income. And then it says, do this on the first day of every week. Giving is to be weekly. It's to be regularly. Why? Because we have a need weekly. We have a need regularly to come against the culture of materialism that exists that we fight against all the time. And I would say that materialism really is the trap. It is the temptation. It is the the trap that the enemy has set to catch us. This is why Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. He didn't say you can't serve both God and Satan. It's money that gets in. It's money that tries to to weasel its way into our hearts. In 1 Timothy, we read, it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money. And so that's what we fight, okay? Uh, Many of you know the idea of um, a monkey trap. I don't think we ever have to trap monkeys, but if you ever did want to trap a monkey, uh, the trap that they would use is they would take a coconut and they would put a little hole in the coconut and hollow it out, and then they would insert into that hole a little, maybe a candy or a bit of meat or maybe something shiny, and they would attach that coconut, chain it to a tree or something like that, and a monkey would come along, and they would sense that there was something good to eat in there, or they'd see that shiny object. They would reach into the coconut and grab that thing, and when they tried to withdraw their hand, they couldn't get it out. And so the monkey, rather than letting go of that thing, would stay and be trapped in that coconut and the hunter could come along and bop him on the head, right? Like that's uh, monkey hunting 101. I I mean, honestly, you need to know these things, people. (laughs) 
I actually lived this last week. Uh, one of my boys had inserted a pebble into the garbage disposal. And so I had to reach in to the garbage disposal. I found the pebble, I grabbed it. I couldn't pull my hand out. Thankfully, I was in the kitchen. They could feed me all week long. Uh, now, here's the deal. You, you go, you know that monkey trap thing? That's just so ridiculous. All the monkey would have to do is let go and he could withdraw his hand and be free. That's exactly the point. The monkey refuses to let go. For you and I, the principle's the same. With materialism, all we have to do is let go and live generously. The problem is we don't, and we hold on, and it gets a hold of our hearts. So look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, your heart follows your treasure. Your heart goes where your treasure gets put. And so the scripture never says, Jesus never says, don't store up treasure. He says, store it up. But don't store it up in this earth. Don't, don't look to the materialism to store your treasure. Instead, store it up where thieves can't steal it and where rust will never attack it and where moths won't destroy. The, the idea is you can store up treasures in heaven. How? By investing in the kingdom of God now. You want to give your money. You want, to, you want to be generous now. You want to have that open-handed kind of a lifestyle. Take a step up from the floor to rung number one. Now, for this next truth, I want to turn to somebody who, uh, a little bit surprising, in, 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 at least in my estimation. Now, I'm going to read to you a quote from Stephen King, the author, right? And he's addressing a group of graduates from Vassar University. Now, I don't know where Stephen King stands spiritually. I can take a guess, uh, but, I, uh, but I don't know for sure. Uh, uh, here's what I want you to know, though. He's preaching the Bible here. Listen to what he says. He says, a couple of years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found this out while lying on a ditch on the side of a country road covered in mud and blood with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, nobody accepts MasterCard. He says, we all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come into this world naked and broke. We're dressed when we go out, but we're broke as well. Warren Buffett, he's going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. A life of giving, not just money, but time and spirit repays. It helps us remember that we may be going out broke, but right now we're doing okay. Right now we have the power to do great good for ourselves and for others. So I ask you to begin giving 
and to continue as you begin. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you had ever had and you did more good than you ever dreamed. That's Stephen King. Now, again, I don't know how familiar he is with the Bible, but look at what he was preaching. Ecclesiastes 5.15, he says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. It's the next reason why we start this basic level giving, because we can't take it with us. We can't take it with us. Right? That is the truth. That's the reality. Each one of us has to recognize that and own it. The one who dies with the most toys is dead. Right? Right? Steve Jobs, he just passed away. So for so many, especially those who are in the tech world, you know, he's iconic and he's heroic and he's innovative and all these things. Look, He never, ever wanted to be the richest man in the cemetery. But that's where he is. See, um, Steve Jobs, he was not a charitable guy. He did not live a generous life. His estate, seven billion something, right? We don't know exactly how much money he left behind. Well, actually we do. He left all of it behind, right? He left it all behind. Now, now understand this reality. The Bible says when you're faithful with little, you can be trusted with much. And if you're not faithful with worldly goods, who's going to trust you with heavenly riches? Well, look at jobs. Seven billion. And he kept it all. He didn't give it away at all. He didn't share it or invest it in the kingdom or even in humanitarian causes. It was none of that. Ah, incredible. And can you imagine him standing before the Lord giving an account? And he didn't even know how to spend it on himself, right? You saw his apartment and his houses. He didn't even have furniture. So you have to, okay. Okay, he wasn't faithful with worldly wealth. Who's gonna trust him with heavenly riches? No one. And it's easy to judge, right? Of course it is. But do you know that if you work at $25,000 a year for the whole course of your life, more than a million dollars is gonna come through your hands. So what are you gonna do with a million dollars? How are you gonna honor God with a million dollars that he's given you to steward? Right? This is a question all of us have to wrestle with. We wanna be accountable. We wanna understand that God owns it all. We wanna be the ones that are faithful, Right? Want to be faithful with worldly wealth. So I, uh, I actually want to tell you a story about um, this. When I was in high school, there was a band that was very, very popular. And just raise your hand if you know this band, if you've heard these songs. Van Halen, you ever, you ever hear Van Halen? Okay, again, a couple of you get in the back, you never raise your hand. Maybe you didn't wear deodorant today. I don't know, but um, maybe you don't know Van Halen. Van Halen, I can't believe I'm telling a story about Van Halen. Anyway, here's the deal. They had long hair and they screamed in the microphone, Eddie Van Halen's good on guitar. That's all you need to know. So Van Halen, I heard a story when I was in high school that as a part of each show they performed, they needed to have, it was in their contract, backstage a bowl of M&Ms. But in that bowl of M&Ms, there could be no brown M&Ms, okay? 
Now, when I heard that, that they, somebody had to pour a bag of M&Ms out for them and then pluck all of the brown M&Ms out, I thought to myself, what a bunch of divas, right? How, how, seriously, it sounded like that, that scene from Spinal Tap where it's like, my sandwiches must be cut in diagonal, you know, like, it was just random and crazy. Well, just recently, I heard the, the method behind that request. And here's the method. You got to listen to this. The method is Van Halen was going into middle America and they were bringing, you know, 12, 18 wheelers worth of production gear. And they were putting it into like high school gymnasiums and basketball arenas that had never had concerts like this before. And so the writer was very, very specific, all of the requirements that the venue needed to have in order for the show to be safe and effective, right? There were pyrotechnics, all this stuff going on, and they had to make sure that the local promoter was careful with the details. So right in the middle of this writer, there was a little line that said, oh, and we need M&Ms, and we need all the brown M&Ms removed. And it was a litmus test for them. If they arrived at the show and they saw that the M&Ms were taken care of, then they could breathe easy knowing that the promoter had actually read through the entire document. But if the M&Ms weren't there, then they had to line check every single item in the contract. One time they found that the weight requirements for the stage had been unmet and if they would have loaded their gear in, the entire arena would have collapsed. Could you imagine that? It was the greatest show I'd ever been to, right up to the time that the arena collapsed and everyone died. It was a drag. In other words, the M&Ms were a test. If you're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful with the big things. If I can trust you with the little things, I can trust you with the big things. Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me. If you're faithful with your giving, If you take a step up to rung number one, if you're faithful with generosity, I can trust you with heavenly riches. We have to understand, this is the next reason that we take that step to basic level giving because we must be faithful in the little things. We must be faithful in the little things. Now, God owns it all. God cares about us. God gives us his posture of love to us. God knows that giving is the way that we break free of the trap of materialism. All of these things are inherent in the scriptures. All of them make sense. They, they, they line up in a linear fashion in terms of, of how God approaches us, how we approach him. But you need to understand this. God always made provision for his people. So in the Old Testament, for example, there were all sorts of requirements. As you come, this is what you're to give for this purification, for this sacrifice. You're to come with these items. And, and, and often it was a lamb or often there were, there were these, you know, a goat sacrifice or even, uh, you, you know, a larger livestock and it needed to be unblemished and all this stuff. But God also made provision for the poorest among the nation so that every single person could be included in the process of giving to God. And if you couldn't afford it and you didn't have livestock, you didn't have access to a lamb or or the resources for it, you could bring a couple of birds. You could bring a couple of turtle doves or a couple of pigeons, just for pennies, so that you too could participate in the act of generosity. Now, you need to understand, the reason why I know this is because Mary and Joseph were poor. Because the ones who raised Jesus Christ, they didn't have a lamb to sacrifice. They didn't have land to raise livestock on. 
And so when they came to the temple and offered the purification sacrifice, they came with a couple of birds, just pennies each. You need to understand that, that God wants everyone to participate in the act of generosity. He wants everyone to take a step up to rung number one. He wants every single one of us to live a life of open palm back to him so that we can receive the gifts, the provision, and the blessing from God and so that we can be generous back to him. Now, Paul writes to Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy 6. And Paul tells him, this is how to train up your ecclesia. Paul says, they are to do good over like you do good. They are to be rich in good works over like you're rich in good works. They are to be generous. Are we there? They're to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold, look at this, of that which is truly life. You see, God does not want us to be trapped in this material world. God wants us to take hold of that which is truly life. This is the first step, basic level giving. So Overlake, I wanna challenge you to participate in generosity. I wanna challenge you to make this a part of your lifestyle as you approach your finances. I wanna challenge you, especially those of you who have never given to God. You've never regularly given, you've never made this a posture of your life to him. Would you take a step to rung number one? And I wanna challenge you to do this because you wanna be faithful in little that God has given you so that you're trusted with much. I wanna challenge you to do this because you acknowledge you can't take it with you when this life is over. I wanna challenge you to do it so you can be emotionally connected to God's kingdom because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I wanna challenge you to do it because God owns it all and he's given to you for your enjoyment. Friends, I want to challenge you to do this out of the right heart, which is not that you can buy God's favor. It's not that you can earn God's love. It's not that somehow you can can pay off the sins that you committed this week. There's no such thing as indulgences in the kingdom of God. The idea is you simply recognize that God has given so lavishly to you that you want your posture to be that you give freely back to him. So Overlake, I wanna challenge you to walk this road and to climb the generosity ladder together. Let's pray. And Jesus, we do thank you. Lord, even as we're thinking about finances, as we know that this is a, a very real issue, it's an issue that really does cause so much stress, so much tension, so much conflict even in our lives. We need your help. We need you to come and give us your perspective. We need your guidance in this realm. And we ask that you would help us to take the step of of going from a a place of, of primarily, we just use our money for our needs. And we wanna move to the place where it's your money and we release it for your kingdom. And so we ask that you'd help us get there. Help us take this first step to rung number one where we could uh, exist and regularly do so in, in this basic level giving. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd meet us in our needs. Right now, I know the heartbreak that exists in our congregation over finances. I pray right now that you would help them not to feel burdened or stressed by this message and by this challenge, but rather that they would feel met in it, that they would be loved by you, 
that they would recognize your provision and your blessing even now in their lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.